0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Love trumps knowledge. Love is the supreme thing. Remember what Jesus said about everybody recognizing those who are his disciples. He didn't say, by your knowledge, the world will know that you are my disciples. As important as knowledge is, it's not the ultimate. What did he say? He said, by your love for one another, others will know.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 13 in a message titled Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Now here's Pastor Brian
1: theologians we need people to do that deep work we need people to think thoroughly on things and we need to glean from that and appreciate that but at the same time where the theologian is often thinking more about the truths and the information the pastor thinks about the people and this is what we see here So this group of people that Paul's addressing, they have the right theological perspective, but they don't care for people. So for them, it's like, I don't care what happens with them. They're wrong. They're ignorant of these truths and I'm not gonna let their ignorance bother me. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. But Paul says that is the problem. And so he tells them not everyone possesses this same knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled, but food does not bring us near to God. So see what Paul is saying. It's like, that's fine that you understand this, that you've got a good grip on this theologically. I understand it as well. But what you're forgetting is not everybody gets it. Not everybody is going to have that same kind of understanding. Not everybody is going to be able, because of their background and their experience, they're not necessarily going to be able to just blow this idolatry off like you can and just say, oh, this is nothing. Because for them, it's still something that was so deeply rooted in their lives, it still to them seems like this is not the right thing to do. So Paul goes on and he says that you can end up wounding the weak conscience of such a person. Therefore, he says, be careful be careful, however, that the exercise, listen to this, the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So you see the argument, hey, we know the facts, there's only one God, and based upon that truth, you know, we have the right to participate in this because it's nothing really anyway and nobody should judge us. Nobody should try to limit us. We're free. Paul is saying that that kind of freedom, the kind of freedom that might stumble a weaker person is the freedom that you should set aside rather than exercise. And then he goes on and he describes a possible scenario. He says, for someone with a weak conscience, sees you with all your knowledge, Paul's kind of poking at him here, you know, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So in the ancient world, the temples, the idol temples had restaurants connected to them. It's convenient. You could go and offer a sacrifice and then you could have a meal. And this is what the people did. They would go to the temple. They would offer sacrifice. They would invite friends. Hey, let's meet at the temple. I'm going to make the sacrifice. And then we'll all have a nice big feast. And they would feast on the things that had been offered. The portion of the meat was offered to the God. And then the rest of it, they would have it prepared for them. And they would participate in them. This, this is just what they did all the time. Now, Paul envisions a scenario where there's a weak Christian who looks at that and just says, man, this idolatry, they, they probably came out of a deep idolatrous experience in their lives. And as far as they know, this is, I don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. But then as they go by the temple, they see one of these strong, knowledgeable Christians just having the time of their life. There they are having this feast, there they are in the idol's temple. And then they think, well, gosh, what's the matter with me? Maybe I can do this too. And then they indulge. And then they end up utterly condemned over it. And the devil jumps into the mix and seeks to push them toward despair. So Paul says, this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. So man, he's really hitting them with this knowledge thing and the pride in their knowledge that would cause them to have little to no concern for the spiritual welfare of their weaker brother or sister. But then he says this, when you sin against them in this way, so he says what they're doing is a sin when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wow. So in other words, Paul's saying, this is no light matter. Yes, it's wonderful that you have knowledge. And yes, it's wonderful to have Christian liberty and freedom. But this kind of liberty, this liberty that stumbles somebody else is actually a sin. And so therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, this is Paul speaking, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So Paul's commitment is to not doing anything that's going to cause the weaker person to fall. Now, over in Romans chapter 14, if you want to turn there just a few pages back in your Bible... Paul is dealing with the identical situation in speaking to the church in Rome, but he gives a little bit more detail. So I want us to see what he has to say here. So we'll look at verses one through seven, and then verses 14 through 23, the end of the chapter. But listen to what Paul says. He says, except one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. And here they are. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt, the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Now, just know this. This is not an issue of vegetarianism versus uh, eating meat. This is all in the context of idolatry. And I say that because some people have misunderstood the reference to vegetables here. The point is, in the ancient world, in the pagan world, it was almost impossible to get meat that wasn't sacrificed to idols, unless you got it from a Jewish butcher. And that wasn't the case with vegetables. Vegetables were much more readily available. You could grow them, for that matter. And so it was those who did not, in their conscience, have the ability to eat the meat for fear of the idol, they would then just have a vegetable diet so Paul says though he says not to judge the one for God has accepted them and then he asks this question in verse 4 who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master servant stand or fall and they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone in other words what we do affects other people and we need to think about that now look at verse 14 he says i am convinced being fully persuaded in the lord jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself so again paul is saying here if he was speaking to the corinthians he would basically be agreeing with them that an idol is nothing he says that's my position i hold to that i agree with that But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. So Paul here is talking about the individual conscience. And although theologically he knows the truth about this, he recognizes that not everybody's going to see it this way. Paul understands that and he acts accordingly. So If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval." Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself and what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So here Paul is taking up really the issue of the individual conscience and we all have to understand this. The individual conscience really matters for the Christian. Quoting N.T. Wright from his commentary, he said this about this issue. He said, this is one of the key ways, this individual conscience is one of the key ways in which each individual maintains responsibility before God for his or her own actions. Keeping a clear conscience before God is part of basic Christian living. If one Christian behaves in a way which shocks or distresses another or leads them to do something their own conscience is telling them is wrong, they are taking away their responsibility and forcing them to disobey what they are convinced is God's will for them. At that point, the stronger Christian is actually making the weaker one sin. And at that point, we should all realize that something has gone badly wrong. So what Paul is talking about and what N.T. Wright is getting at here is that the individual conscience is either uninformed and therefore immature and that will change over time or these individual convictions have been put there by God for that person specifically. See, here's the thing. We're all different. We all have different areas of vulnerability. What I'm vulnerable to in regard to sin, you might not be at all. And vice versa, what what you're vulnerable to, I might not be vulnerable at all. But simply because I have no vulnerability in that area, I cannot assume that you shouldn't have it either because it could be there as a protective measure. So we who are strong— should never put pressure on the weaker brother or sister to go against their conviction, even if we think it's an immature perspective that is holding them back from some area of freedom. When I you know, meet people who have strong convictions about certain things, I don't try to talk them out of that conviction. Now, we can seek to instruct and educate them because that conviction might be based on misunderstanding or superstition or something like that. So we can seek to instruct and educate them, but we're not to try to persuade them. We need to leave that up to God. So I think of times where, you know, maybe somebody calls on the radio and they express a conviction about something that I have a different conviction about. And So in the end, I just encourage them, well, you hold to your conviction. You know, this is my conviction. It's not the same as yours. But if that's your conviction, you hold to it. And I'm going to trust that in the process of time, God will grow them out of that if that needs to be the case. So that personal conviction, we have to understand, can be God's way of protecting them from some area of vulnerability to sin. So again, some people have vulnerabilities that we don't all necessarily share, but God knows their vulnerabilities. And so he gives them a check in regard to certain things to keep them from going in the direction that's going to lead them into trouble. Now, as I said, God himself will grow and mature people out of immature views and convictions if and when they are no longer necessary to protect or to train them. So in some of these things, we just have to give people time. And going back to our text in Corinthians, this is what Paul is saying to the strong. Hey, you need to back off. And you need to recognize that these weaknesses are not things that you are to impose your liberty on them and force them out of it. You need to back off. And in love, you need to limit your freedoms, perhaps, for their benefit and trust that in the process of time, God's going to mature them. Now, I know from experience that convictions change over time. And let me just make this crystal clear. We're not talking about sinful issues here. I mean, there's no liberty to sin (laughs) as a Christian. We're talking about Disputed matters like the one that's being addressed here. But I can think even in my own life of how, when I was a younger Christian, I had certain convictions. I had certain things that I just felt like, you know, I can't, no, I can't touch that. It's not, in and of itself, it's not an evil thing, but it's just a thing that's going to maybe remind me of my past or stir up things that shouldn't be stirred up or whatever bring me under undue temptation. And I can say that as time passed and as I grew and matured, that those lessened and to a certain point just no longer became issues. But that's a work that God does, and we must trust him for that. So here's a question. Does all this mean that my liberty, my freedom is limited by a a brother or sister's weak conscience. In other words, am I kind of like held captive by the weak conscience of the person near me, the brother or sister near me? Yes, you are. Yes, I am. But only when that is truly the issue. And this is what I mean by that. There are those who will seek to limit others' liberty simply out of legalism, and we are not subject to the same rule there. So, you know, there are some people who are just bent toward legalism. It's not a matter of stumbling or anything like that. It's just simply that they, they like rules and they want everybody to keep the rules that they like. And... We are not to be held hostage by that. So we're talking about a very specific case here. We're talking about a person who genuinely is vulnerable. So again, N.T. Wright has a good word here. He says, this teaching is no excuse for people with small minds and badly educated consciences to prevent the rest of the church doing things that are harmless in themselves. Sometimes people from a very narrow background, full of rules and restrictions, which have nothing to do with the gospel itself and everything to do with a particular social subculture, try to insist that all other good Christians should join them in their tight little world. But in a case like that, the rule-bound Christians are in no danger of having their conscience damaged. They are not being led astray. They are quite sure of their own correctness. Paul is not dealing with that here. He's dealing with something entirely different. So again, it's a matter of a genuine case of a person being truly vulnerable and my freedom potentially stumbling them. Paul is just simply saying, we need to let go of that freedom. We need to set that aside. Like he said, I'm not gonna... For me, if... If there's the potential to stumble, I won't eat meat or drink wine ever again. So what this boils down to is this. Love trumps knowledge. Love is the supreme thing. Remember what Jesus said about everybody recognizing those who are his disciples. He didn't say by your knowledge, the world will know that you are my disciples. As important as knowledge is, it's not the ultimate. What did he say? He said, by your love for one another, you will know, or people, others will know. So love, as we said in the beginning, love builds up. That's the motivation of love. I want to build people up. I don't want to see somebody torn down. I don't want to stumble somebody. I want to help somebody grow in Christ. The NLT, again, New Living Translation, put it beautifully. While knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. It is love that strengthens the church. Again, I think knowledge is important. That's why we do what we do. But my prayer is that we would be known by our love. I think anybody coming from the outside walking in, I think they're going to want to walk into an atmosphere of love versus an atmosphere of knowledge that has resulted in arrogance. I don't know of anything more miserable than hanging out with a bunch of know-it-alls. There's nothing attractive about that. We want the atmosphere of love. That's what God loves. We're not diminishing knowledge. We're just putting it in its right place. Knowledge is good, but it must be held in humility. But love is the key. Our goal is this. Strengthen our brothers and sisters, helping them by our love and grace to mature in the faith. And if that means that this liberty needs to be set aside or I need to keep this to myself and not publicly broadcast it, then that's what needs to be done because I need to be more concerned about the welfare of the weak than about the expression of my own freedom. That's what Paul is saying here. And may God help us to do that.
0: For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. Can a Christian become demon-possessed? Is there really an unseen spiritual battle behind large-scale world events and the details of individual lives? If you've ever wondered about the unseen spiritual realm and its influence upon the physical world, and this month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will answer these very questions. If you want to better understand the spiritual battle that we're involved in as Christians, how to recognize the tactics of the enemy, and how to live a victorious Christian life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now. At 1-800-733-6443 Or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com We'd also like to remind you That all of our other resources are waiting for you At backtobasicsradio.com Or by calling our request line At 1-800-733-6443 That's 1-800-733-6443 Our desire is to encourage you In your daily walk with God We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.
1: Hi, this is Cheryl and...
0: Brian Broderson
1: And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And
0: we want you there with us.
1: Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian, you and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at... Jerusalem. Or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. And it is the trip of a lifetime. So we'd love to have you join us. And if you're interested, we're going to have an informational meeting on Sunday, March 20th at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa.
0: Or you can find out the details if you go online at
1: israel.cccm.com. Yep. We hope you can join us. It's going to be
0: great. It will be.